This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good morning. You are listening to The Morning Run. It's 6am on Thursday, the 23rd of June. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning and Kusu Chuang. Good morning, good morning. Selamat pagi, sekalian. Should I call you the fisherman instead, Chuang? You because should. You, don't, you can't see him, but he is wearing a pink bucket hat in the studio today. I presume you came to work via motorcycle, which no, is why was, the hat is on. No, I was going to, but it's raining. Lah, so I had to deploy emergency ride-hailing measures, which uh. is the wife, <laughs> who until about 5.15 in the morning was asleep. That okay. does not explain the hat though then. Yeah, because it protects the, the old noggin from the rain and, uh, and a wet head, which usually ends up in a cold. Okay, maybe yeah. that's also Chuang's idea of fashion. Yeah, no fashion. <laughs> no fashion. <laughs> Let me tell you, this, there is no fashion to this weird this pink is, hat. Yeah, pure utility. Driven <laughs> by practicality. Yeah. Um, but yes, imagine Chuang in his pink bucket hat this morning. Uh, we do have a lot of discussions lined up. I'm sure the bucket hat will provide a lot of interesting fodder, uh, you know, kind of give you that inspiration on what to say. Or what do we have beginning 7.15, Shaoning? Uh, we're going to be talking about ESG principles and whether businesses are embracing it in their growth strategy. We're going to find out from the perspective of the insurance players with Catherine Renuka Raja. She's the Chief Investment Officer of Sun Life Malaysia. Yep, then 7.30 is all about Sri Lanka because the economy there is in free fall. Headline inflation reached 45% last month. The government defaulted on $12 billion in foreign debt. So there's going to be a discussion in terms of the country getting out of its economic nightmare, or maybe not, with the policy analyst Dr. Chulani Atanayaki of the National University of Singapore. And then later on at 7 7.45, we saw yesterday how the Prime Minister announced more aid for households struggling with rising inflation. But at the same time, the government is lifting the ceiling price on a couple of basic items beginning 1st July. We discussed the implications of this, so Dr. Juita Mohamed of Ideas will be joining us for this chat. All this and more today on The Morning Run. Stay with us, BFM 89.9. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Kusu Chuang and Wong Xiaoning. It's 6.07 a.m. on Thursday, the 23rd of June. Now, Chuang Xiaoning, when was the last time you received a handwritten letter? The last century. <laughs> <laughs> okay, for me, not, not that long ago, actually. Maybe in the last six months? In the last six months, a letter, an actual letter well, in it an was, envelope it, sealed. It was a postcard. So that's that's the equivalent of a letter. A handwritten yes, postcard. Yes, a handwritten yeah, postcard. Yeah, yeah. No, that's okay. true. That's true. My aunt, who's 87, did send me a postcard some years ago. Okay, some years ago, you say. So <laughs> still not in recent memory. Um, but I'm bringing this up because there's an interesting story coming out of Japan. So there's a scheme run by the municipality of Miyazaki, that's somewhere in southern Japan. And they are matching singles through letter writing in a bid to boost the low birth rates. So they started this in 2020. I'm presuming this must have been a pandemic uh, idea that was that came through. Uh, and so far, 450 people have signed up. That may not sound like a lot, but it's more than double what they initially estimated. How many the people hooked up, be. though? Ah, interesting. Uh, I think they've got some details in there. Okay. It's not. It's not zero. Let's put it that way. There have been <laughs> some couples that have come up from here. And another interesting element of this is that 70% of participants were between their 20s and 30s, so those who are relatively young. So, it, you know, it's, I find that such an interesting story, and it made me wonder whether letter writing could be making a comeback 
in this age of technology and instant communication. Yeah, I find that a very nostalgic story as well because it's basically um, it's it's basically this return to what used to be, right? And you can see it all over the world in terms of maybe the the the, the re redefining of, of vinyl, for example. Or I know some young people, you know, for example, our producer Simi Boon, he's into old classic cars, cars from the eighties and nineties, right? So the, the young generation, they're quite enamored by that era, and you can even see that in hairstyle. I mean, look at Austin Butler's hairstyle. You know, Austin Butler's the new Elvis main actor, right? He's got that mullet that used to be seen in the eighties. So, because so this is whole throwback thing. No, but he still has it after the show, <laughs> after a the year show, after he didn't production, keep it. <laughs> right? Maybe he decided it, I looks cool. Uh, but I think why not? When you think about the the process of writing a letter versus, let's say, sending a WhatsApp or even an email, it requires a lot more effort taking that piece of paper, using a pen, using your actual hands rather than typing on the keyboard. And it sometimes requires a stamp, which for many people, they haven't been to a post office in a very long time. I don't know whether these are hand-delivered or the postman delivers them, but there's a process involved, right? There's a bit of contemplation. I think there's, as you write also, it's slightly different. I don't know about you all, but I still write uh, old-fashioned notes every day, even on the show. I don't type everything. And to me, that's part of the thinking process. So maybe it's it's kind of sweet in in its in a romantic way. You know, it's almost harking back to the days of Jane Austen when people wrote letters <laughs> to each other all the time. It's very Bridgerton. It's very sweet. And imagine if you left your loved ones a little note on the fridge, right? That that used to be a thing in the past. Is don't it? it or I don't. Uh, it still happens yeah. occasionally sure for, some for some people. I guess it's the whole when somebody does that, you know, they put thought into it, or there was a. It's a it's an act of consciousness that you do to show appreciation or affection to someone else, mm. yeah? So that, that makes it a lot more meaningful than, say, just tapping that WhatsApp, have a good day. Okay, I think so, you know, because a letter allows you to express yourself, there's no limit to it, isn't it? Because it's it's like you can, you can have one page, two pages, three pages, and that changes the whole way you want to talk about. You know, it's an no, expression, no. okay? Yeah. Versus WhatsApp, where you... You can be expressive, but somehow your your WhatsApps don't go on and on and on and on and on, do they? I mean, they tend to be shorter. No, unless it's a love letter to your loved ones overseas, and then the number of letters, the number of pages used, you know, increases the cost of postage. So you know how last time you had those aerograms? Yes. That one sheet, then you you basically. You know, you squeezed everything. You wrote very small. Very small, <laughs> very right? small. And every single square inch of that paper was used, right? So, so that's not unlimited line. You know? I but loved aerograms. Do you know what I mean, though? right? It yeah. was like, like one ringgit or something, right? For, like, for the cheap. 40 cents, 35 40 cents. cents. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I have to give credit to my father. He sent me one every week, at least once yeah, a week yeah. when I was a student in London. This is all pre-email, pre-WhatsApp phone calls, right? I still and have my letters from my parents on aerograms. Fantastic. Yes. My mum used to tell me everything happening in Penang. Yeah, and it was just it was just such a nice way to communicate. And then you took the effort to write back and told them what sad life you had in university. <laughs> UK aerograms were bigger than Malaysian aerograms. Were they? By like about 15%, yeah. Because oh, I, I measured them once and I could get more into my aerogram than they got on theirs. But they're probably cheaper <laughs> in Malaysia so again, all these really nostalgic memories about letter writing. But honestly, do you think this will come back in a big way? I still feel like letter writing mm, no, has uh, become very no. niche. And really, the I guess the benefits of instant communication, that really quick email, it's always going to supersede, I suppose, For sure. the, you know, just the but romanticism of letter writing. Exactly. I was going to use that word, you know. Why not be romantic sometimes with the letter writing? If you meet somebody that you think is rather exceptional and you want to pursue something, maybe going old school, old fashioned is the way to go rather than Tinder, Bumble. Not to say there's nothing wrong with that. That is perfectly fine. But 
I think why not? Every option should be explored. That's your Thursday relationship tip. Use the love letter to your advantage. Stop laughing, Gusu Chuang. Thursday relationship. Can we have another one on Friday, Charles, please? Sure. Let's have a daily one. Let's do it. Tell us what you think. When was the last time you received a letter or when was the last time you wrote a letter or a card? WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We're heading into some messages. And when we come back, we're going to discuss what do people do during their lunch break. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. That was 10CC with Dreadlock Holiday. And here's a fun fact for you. This song was released back in 1978 and it detailed the experiences of the band traveling to Barbados and Jamaica, apparently. So Lovely. Their lyrics are all about interactions with Jamaicans while they were there, including that really weird line about, do you love cricket? I love it. <laughs> I wonder how much of the holiday they remembered. <clears throat> oh, yeah, I wonder. It's mortalized, immortalized in song. And the words Dreadlock say it all, right? There we go. There okay. we go. You are listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokdar with Kusu Chuang and Wong Xiaoning. 6.19 in the morning on Thursday, the 23rd of June. So, um, another fun fact, or I guess a fun tip, if you will. Um, I listen to this NPR podcast called Rough Translation. And I love this podcast because what they do is they take issues... And they compare how it's seen in different countries. So in one of their latest episodes, they looked at how lunch breaks are viewed um, in the context of the U.S. and also in France. So in the U.S., it's very common for people to maybe eat lunch at their desk, grab a salad, and while eating, they're just typing out emails or doing work and stuff. In France, there's actually a law that bans French workers from eating lunch at their desk, meaning French workers must exit the building and have lunch outside during lunch breaks. Let's just say that in France and many parts of Europe, there's a, there's a very serious approach towards work-life balance. <laughs> I think that's being polite. I want to start a, a, an example of a friend of mine. He, she, she and her husband, husband worked in Hong Kong, she worked in, in Malaysia, very, very hardworking alpha-type couple, right? No children. You know, co- completely focused on their careers, they were they were then posted to France because one of them worked for L'Oreal, yeah, and they had a complete culture shock because at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon, everybody turns off their handphone, everybody blocks the email until Monday morning nine o'clock, and for a couple that works through the weekends and they're putting eighteen hour days in, it was a complete shock to their system, and they couldn't work, they, they didn't know what to do on the weekend. <laughs> I can imagine the culture shock. If you've been to France, right? You've been to Paris at three o'clock on the on the weekday afternoon. They're all in the cafes having a chat and drinking coffee. They're, it's the good life. Uh, not anymore, Chuang. Not anymore, man. No, because now in France you can go shopping on the weekends. The stores, department stores, are open on Sundays. I think some of them are open even until eight p.m. Retail is alive. Cafes are very bustling. No, no, but but they but they basically have a very very vibrant social life. Yeah, they do, they do. But there's also another part of that. Uh, where they've liberalised working hours because they know the economy is such, right? Uh, people demand it. They want to have activity to do in the evening. But you're right. Let's just talk about like lunch, even here in Malaysia. And how many of us are guilty at working at our desk? And I think I am. Shazana, yep, definitely. Same, yeah. You, um, our producers, all of us work at our desk. And why do we do that? Because we just... Is it a habit or is it because we just We're want just to get our work We're just highly productive individuals. I, think, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> don't know about Productivity yeah. was one of the arguments that um, this American worker that the podcast interviewed spoke about, about how it drove her crazy that she couldn't get her work done uh, during lunchtime because she's being forced to socialize 
forced as in it felt like she was being forced to socialize yeah um for us i i would i would posit though that because our days start really early our lunchtime is actually our breakfast time yeah so we so eat our, is, big, our biggest meal at 10 a.m usually <laughs> 10 to 11 a.m that right? is lunch uh, but for malaysians in general um i don't know i i'm not sure that a law of this sort if if the if you're boss told you no you can't eat lunch at your desk go outside and have lunch i'm not sure how well that would that would go down or cannot well. because malaysians love their food too much <laughs> that's that's the other reason but why if, wouldn't it be better i mean because if you love food so much you you'll be forced to go out and find it oh but people tap out all the time you know that's the other thing about malaysia ah, okay maybe culturally also in terms of the way things are set up right because we buy food from stalls that's right so if you're forced out of the office where are you going to eat the stall food right you probably bring it back to the office but maybe you don't want to eat it over your desk you want to eat it in the pantry we don't really have a culture or some of- offices don't even have pantries honestly uh, so, and we don't have a culture of eating in parks. We don't really have parks. The weather doesn't really, doesn't really, yeah. really permit us to do that, right? Um, another thing that I uh, remember from this podcast, how they, the French believe that um, these lunches, it, it's actually a really good way to build camaraderie and social bonds with your co-workers. So they see that as one of the positives of uh, getting people out of the office during Possible. lunch. So that they'll go out for lunch. And when you talk to each other in a non-work environment, that helps a lot when you're later working and dealing, wheeling and dealing in the office. So they see that as the benefit to the law. Yeah. And of course, it also has a negative side effect in the terms of, you know, there's going to be a lot of inertia built up in the employee. Again, that's being very polite. Uh, a, a very good friend of mine who is French and um, who is subject to French labor laws, when he was um, made redundant because his his company was bought over by an Australian company, they got, they, I think he had paid, um, he had a paid retirement kind of thing, redundancy of two and a half years. So for two and a half years, he got full salary, company car, which was his old job. And uh, he just went on holiday for two and a half years. It's it's very, very lenient to the labour well, market. Well, we've had discussions about this, right? This is Macron's latest headache in terms of dialing back the very generous social welfare policy. And I think this lunch, break, this lunch break is part of it. But I want to make a confession. You know how much I know I eat lunch over... Um, my desk is when I try to clean my keyboard and invert it and let me tell you when you kind of all the crumbs come out yeah, it was like a little wave of little bits of god knows what so that gave me an indication maybe Shaolin you should stop eating so much over your dirty keyboard well tell us what you think how do you spend your lunch hour do you think that it should be mandated that employees must take a break during lunch WhatsApp us 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. We're heading into the 6.30am news bulletin and very fitting for this wet morning. Here's the Eurythmics with Here Comes the Rain Again, BFM 89.9. That was Dead Disco by Metric. The disco's not dead here on the morning run, though. Uh, it lives. I'm Shazana Mokdar with Wong Xiaoning in and Ku Su Chuang. No, no, Trump. I'm pretty sure it's in you, Xiaoning. I've seen you in the studio <laughs> when, there's a, when there's a tune that you're grooving to. But in any case, it is 6.40 in the morning on Thursday, the 23rd of June. We are going to take a look at international headlines. But first, I do want to uh, maybe mention some of the WhatsApps that we've received this morning in relation to conversations we had earlier today. We were talking about the lunch break and how rules are different in France and how Malaysians uh, celebrate, uh, well, not celebrate, but how they spend their lunchtime. So we received the WhatsApp from Wendy, who is who resoundingly said she thinks everyone should take a break for lunch. It may be the only break they have for the day. And uh, she liked the 2.5-hour lunch break she had when working in China. 2.5 hours is a luxury. We don't get those lunch breaks Two and a half hours. 
What? Really? That's I a long time. That's a perfect lunch break, though. That that. What time is it? Is it like? Do they work like nine to five, and then the two and a half hour in the middle, or is it nine to nine, so they get two and a half hours in the middle? Good point. I feel like that may be that may be the case. <laughs> but no, uh, how do you get two and a half? I think but I want that two and a half, nonetheless. I agree. I think two two and a half is a great time. Enough to do shopping. Enough to take a nap. Enough Go to, to eat, the gym. You can grab coffee. Great hours. Daniel says that whether he eats at his desk or not depends on the menu of the day. Of the day, if it's a sandwich, yes, he'll eat it at his desk while not working. He says watching videos. But if it's a curry, then he will eat it somewhere else. Anything with a distinct aroma, so as to be more considerate to his colleagues. Um, so yes, thanks very much for weighing in on that. If you have any thoughts, you can WhatsApp us zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine or tweet us at BFM Radio. Yeah, we also had a comment from Ro because we talked about uh, those letters, right? And he said that the last love letter he. Received was during Chinese New Year. They were short, sweet, and crunchy. You know those. <laughs> you know talking those about the Quake Up Eight. Not the same letter, Rob, but good try. Thank you for Which sharing. Which you swallow in one bite, like, I presumed. <laughs> All right, well, let's take a look at what's making headlines around the world today. Chuang, would you like to start us off today? Well, Mark Zuckerberg, who's bet the entire house uh, on Met- on the metaverse, even naming his company Meta, right? So um, he was at a virtual reality conference, I think last week, and he showed off some of the latest hardware and innovations that are performed by Meta. And uh, basically, in, in short, um, it didn't quite meet uh, expectations in terms of where he wanted to be. So this story, which I got from basically um, um, Morning Brew, is interesting interesting because he, he's got four key goals for the metaverse in terms of Facebook's hardware. The, the headset must, must have resolution high enough to replicate 2020 vision. That's the first one. The second one, eye tracking to replicate focal depth, which is very, very difficult, but he wants that. The third thing is high, dyna- high dynamic range, HDR, to replicate uh, real world lighting and color. And fourth, a weight that doesn't make your head feel 40 pounds lighter. <laughs> so, Heavier. Lofty ambitions, but he's bet literally billions of dollars on this thing. He has to. Otherwise, what's the next phase of growth for him? Yeah, right? yeah. Facebook already not attracting a younger audience. We've seen uh, questions over whether the sustain- whether growth uh, in terms of earnings is going to be there for a company like Meta. So I think it's either that or nothing, man. But give, I, I'll give the man give some credit. credit yeah. I will give him credit for being brave to, to move ahead. Now, I've got new coming out of The Guardian in UK. They're reporting about uh, reporting on this powerful earthquake in the remote area of Afghanistan that has unfortunately killed a 1,000 people and injured at least 1,500. Uh, apparently, hundreds more were injured in what appears to have been the de- deadliest quake in two decades. And it's it happened during the night and it's not helped by the fact that there's extremely heavy rains at the moment. So rescue efforts are being uh, hampered and I just imagine what it's like there in a country which has already suffered war and is already facing a dire economic crisis. That's right. Don't forget that the Taliban government in Afghanistan is under sanctions. Um, and so aid has been slow to arrive. The government themselves are appealing for international support. And this is the conundrum, yeah? When you have a government that is isolated by the rest of the international community, what happens when tragedies of this magnitude strike? How is aid and help channeled to those people on the ground who really are in need. Yeah, we are talking about a country prior to the withdrawal of the US troops, right, where at least 80-90% of the economy was really dependent on just foreign aid. And that has trickled down to barely anything. So can you imagine what the situation is like on the ground? I think... 
uh, you know, it's it's not going to be an easy time for them. Uh, I've got another quick piece of news coming out. The Singapore Straits Times. Remember Indonesia moving their capital? Well, it's Nusantara. happening. Yeah. Yes, because President Joko Widodo announced during a visit there uh, that there's progress in this $32 billion project. A friend of mine who is from Sabah, I spoke to him yesterday and I said, hey, you know, I, I love Sabah. It's beautiful, right? I thought I was going to spend more time in Tawau because it's, you know, it's quite remote. It's not KK. So is it cheaper? He goes, no, Tawau is going to be very expensive because it's cheap by Jal next to Nusantara and apparently Nusantara has is already quite well built with highways and it's going to be massive right and Nusantara will be the new epicenter of the Indonesian economy which is basically uh, Borneo lah Interesting Very stuff. interesting, right? Mm. And I wonder how policy in makers in Malaysia are adapting to these developments. Because as you said, if it's right next door to Nusantara, are they thinking about how we can capitalize on our I, And they better position? start, you know, and I think, you know, it's important because we've just talked about this, right? Sabah is one of the poorest states in Malaysia. The disparity in terms of income, the poverty gap is extremely wide. We should take advantage of the fact that Indonesia is moving their capital nearby and have more bilateral trade and more rela- a better relationship. That's right. Something that we are going to keep close eye on. 6.46 in the morning. We're heading into some messages. When we come back, we'll discuss what's making headlines in our local newspapers and portals. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. The Electric Light Orchestra with Hold On Tight to Your Dreams. Not if they're dreams while you're sleeping, though. You've got to get up and get to work. It's Thursday, the 23rd of June, 6.50 in the morning. I'm Shazana with Wong Xiaoning and Kusu Chuang. So we're taking a look at what's making headlines in our front uh, newspapers and portals. Chuang, what do you want to start with today? Yes, um, haunted apartments. Because the <laughs> resident uh, count, uh, the resident committee of, a, of an apartment block called Amber Court. Amber Court is this um, quite old block of apartments in Genting Highlands, right? Um, and and they, are, they called a press conference to denounce the YouTubers... A press conference. A press conference. Wow, very serious. Very huh? serious because oh. it's actually a very serious uh, assertion because a whole bunch of YouTubers and... Um, uh, soothsayers and and uh, these you know these these funky people have been going funky to Amicourt in Genting Highlands <laughs> to take videos because they assert that that apartment is is haunted, and because of all these YouTube videos going on viral on YouTube, um, the prices per square foot of Amicourt is a quarter of what the neighboring areas are. So the so hantu a, is the reason for the <laughs> they low. Say it's not haunted, okay? Yeah, so it's not please. haunted. So let the price of this apartment please appreciate. Okay? Two hundred fifty ringgit per square foot. It's a steal compared to the one thousand PSF around the region so it's a very big deal and I've been there actually I've been to Gunting, uh, to Gunting Highlands and Bacot is actually what were just, you doing there? you know La Ronda la, I'm, I'm a were very, you also a ghost hunter? were no, you a no, ghostbuster? is that no, why no. you were doing there? no I love going to Gunting because it's cool right it's nice oh, and yeah. cool ka-ching, ka-ching, Ka- but never yeah. mind okay Ambercourt does look spooky, but obviously the residents say it's not lah, you know? Ah. You know, we've actually covered this issue on the property show here at BFM. So you might want to um, look that up. It's uh, an episode from 2019 that Keith Kam did. It's titled Sanitizing Some Spooky Stays. You may want to take a listen to that. I bet that was done around Halloween time. It was indeed. It was indeed. So take a listen. Okay, so moving away from haunted houses, (laughs) what do you have in front of you, Shani? Um, I have, of course, all the news that came out rather late in the evening, around 4pm. That's when our Prime Minister Tan Sri, uh, sorry, Datuk Sri um, 
Ismail Sabri announced that there will be cash aid for the B40 group under the Kloaga Malaysia package. So I do believe it's a hundred ringgit. Those who are under BKM, which is Bantuan Kloaga Malaysia, they're going to get a hundred ringgit for a household, while a single individual will get fifty ringgit. This move will benefit eight point six million people, comprising four million households. Uh, but the point is, hundred ringgit is a one-off, right? It's it's not going to be continued. I think this is to kind of you know a little bit of comfort, considering that chicken, egg, and even uh, bottle oil, cooking oil prices will actually be uh, rate. I think they will be allowed to float. They will those ceiling prices will be removed. So interest. I mean, related to this, the Pakatan Harapan leaders also came out yesterday prior to the announcement by the Prime Minister. Uh, they've said that they're demanding uh, to see what the government uh, the government needs to announce a plan to address the issues of mm-hmm. subsidies and the rising cost of living within the next 24 hours. Otherwise, they said the relevant ministers must resign from their positions and that uh, they may take to the streets over this. So this um, th- this announcement came, I think it was being reported around 1, 1.40pm in our portals. Mm. So I don't know. Are we going to see some follow-up to this 24 hours after the announcement? I am not sure. Well, this Bantuan does have to be read in the context of also the one month of free train rides, also the um, SST exemption well, extension to March next year, even though it's sort of bookings. And also, um, what else is there? The, the exams, which have been uh, put off, I think the UPSR. Um, A lot of people say these are indications of in GE15. I, I, I didn't know like what UPSR is 15-year-olds vote, but never yeah, mind, maybe their well, parents. No, <laughs> yeah, because, you know, exams are never popular, right? So, hmm. mm, But I... I I'm just wondering about this opposition move. Okay, for me, great that they're they're making noise. It's true, cost of living is... It's their job, right, as an opposition party. But I'm also curious whether they have solutions to the current problem. Do they have an alternative budget? Do they have an alternative plan when it comes to the removal of subsidies or seating prices? Do they have an alternative plan when it comes to the actually, reform that's of taxation? Najib, actually, I hate to say this, but you know, he, he put something out on Facebook, I think, yesterday. He said the subsidy bill, rather than you know do all that, just increased uh, Ron 95 by quantums, small, small quantums, to so just claw back. Which sometimes he does say things which does make sense. Well, I but he ain't opposition. He's not. I he's agree not. with Shining. I feel like this is an opportunity for the opposition to put forth a plan that they think will work better. You know, you were in government before, so to say that you could have had a plan, you know, or you would have done things differently, that needs to be put to paper so that people yeah, can actually I make mean, that decision. If, if you're not happy with something, then you need to provide an alternative solution, right? Complaining about it is not going to help anybody. And as an opposition block. That's part of the process of showing that you can also run. You can also run the government in a credible and efficient and the right manner. Well, we are going to be discussing uh, these subsidies later on in the show with Dr. Juwita Muhammad of Ideas. So stick around for that conversation happening after the 7.45 a.m. news bulletin. Uh, We're coming up to the 7 a.m. news bulletin at the moment, uh, 6.55 in the morning right now. Uh, Taking you to the news is the Flaming Lips with Race for the Prize. What's the prize, I wonder? It's BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.